everybody. It's Aaron Dillon here, Managing Director of AG Dillon & Co. We're a venture capital firm focused on pre-IPO companies and working with individual investors, financial advisors, and family offices. All right. So I got pre-IPO company update for you here today for the week ending 27 January 2023. Today, we're going to get big company news for the last week, large capital raises for the week, and uh, individual pre-IPO company stock performance update. All right. And oh, and then we'll also hit on some uh, pre-IPO company spotlight for Databricks. All right. Uh, so first up, we got Stripe. So Stripe is an online payments company, processing company. They're seeking to raise $3 billion this week from existing shareholders. They had a target valuation of uh, 55 to $60 billion for the raise, which is a lot lower. They came in at, uh, they were at like a $95 billion valuation about, about a year ago, six months ago. Uh, but they've brought that down at an internal valuation that hit in January of 23 uh, this past month, a 409A uh, internal valuation at $63 billion. So this this kind of latest raise is even below where they were at just last month. Um, Stripe's only raised $2.23 million to date. So this $3 billion raise is big for the company. They did $14.4 billion in revenue in 22. With the uh, and they don't have a profit margin for 22. I didn't, they didn't. That's not in PitchBook or in other resources that I saw. But in 2021, they did 20 20.7 um, uh, net income, which so I have to imagine that's still holding true for 22. So they don't need this money. So then why are they doing it? Like why are they raising three billion dollars if they don't really need the cash? They're massively profitable and they're still growing really quickly too. The rumor is that they need this uh, to kind of get liquidity for veteran employees. So they got if you imagine. Some of these pre-IPO companies now have been out in the marketplace for 10 plus years. The options that these uh, these employees have are running almost to the to the end of their term, their 10-year term, which is what's allowed uh, under law. And these folks need to get liquid. If they can't sell in the market, in the secondary market, and the company hasn't gone public, then they would expire and effectively be worthless. So that's not work. That that's not going to work, right? For Stripe or its employees. Um, there's a huge tax bill. So even if the exercise price is really low for these employees, you know, to, to, to exercise that would mean they need to pay the difference of the current market value, which is 63 billion versus when they got the options in the first place, which could be, you know, close to zero or like $10 million. It's a huge tax bill you have to come up with, uh, especially if these folks live in California, uh, or New York or uh, some other high tax state that could be 50% of the value. So if you if you make $5 million, you'd have to pay $2.5 million in taxes. So naturally, you need to do this thing called the cashless exercise, where you exercise uh, the option and sell the stock at the same time, like in the secondary market in this case, to these uh, institutional investors that would come in at this $3 billion raise. And then you'd be able to pay your taxes and then have the difference uh, that that could hit your bank account. So that's, I think, the primary driver of, uh, of even why Stripe's been announcing and kind of talking about this um uh this this IPO event uh or direct listing event that they're talking about going public later this year is to really relieve this pressure around um their existing their their existing employees and find them an option to get liquid in their stock for their stock options. All right, let's take a look at Brex. So Brex came out with a report talking about their clients. So Brex offers corporate cards and spin management system for startup companies. It's kind of their primary focus. Um, and they took a look at a couple different things. So one, um, startup expense management in this report. Uh, the, the later stage companies are making big cuts overall, but the early stage ones seem to maintain the level of spending. 
They're just focused on bigger bets. Okay. So that's interesting to see bigger companies, like kind of later stage companies making adjustments, but earlier stage companies are still kind of going for it, just maybe getting a little bit more dialed in, which is, I think is, uh, is an interesting dynamic. The startup, uh, startup ad spend is, uh, is changing too. So overall ad spend's down, Facebook's out, Google and Amazon are in. Right. And then also the big companies are going to TikTok, which is interesting. My sister actually works for TikTok in, in ad sales. And uh, so I'm sure she's thrilled to see that. But uh, but 0% at the beginning of the year to 4.97% at the end of Q4. And especially with all the news that's going on around TikTok um, and, and, and the government, uh, it's, it's fascinating to see that this is uh, that this these guys are kind of hanging in at these levels. The last is startup location that the report focused on. So 26% of startups were located in Silicon Valley in 2002. That compares to 36% in early 2019. So folks are kind of moving out of Silicon Valley. I actually thought that number would have been higher than 36% in 19, but um, uh, but here we are. And then uh, a lot of uh, firms are going outside of the United States. So their startups are forming outside of the US, 12 to 17%. Uh, in the recent report. So Brex is a $8.1 billion valuation. It's the last primary finance around in 2022 uh, and also based off of the secondary market uh, activity. So that's that's a calculation that $8.1 billion is a calculation that I put together based on those two uh, inputs. All right. And then lastly, Forge also came out with their own report on the secondary market, kind of pre-IPO secondary market. Uh, Forge is one of the largest brokers in their space. So the kind of insights that they get are pretty valuable, I found. So a couple uh, trends to hit. Um, uh, activities going towards larger uh, companies. So still companies with a big valuation, but they're newer businesses, right? So like we were talking about Stripe earlier, that company's been out there for over 10 years. Uh, and now their their you know their valuation is definitely over ten billion, but they've had a big valuation adjustment. This seems to be this kind of spot might seem to be a, a sweet spot where these companies perhaps didn't get caught up in the exuberance of 2019, 2020, 2021, where valuations really kind of took off. These folks were outside of that, so maybe perhaps a more you know thoughtful uh, increase in valuation. Uh, but really, I don't I don't know if it's any 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 fault of the businesses that went through it is just these companies were probably not in an appropriate stage to, to capitalize on that increase of valuation over the last few years. So, so they uh, kind of benefit of timing, if you will, but, but 40, 50% investor interest in pre-IPO stocks um, for 10 plus years company, that was 2020. Now 92% of investor interest is in stocks with less than 10 years. So it's a, that's a pretty dramatic shift, right? 50% of the demand for pre-IPO stocks, 10 billion valuation, six to 10 years. So examples are like Discord, Databricks, Chime, Airtable. But just looking at secondary market data though, this year, right? This These numbers are kind of talking about 2022. Uh, Chime's kind of took it on the chin here. And we'll get to that in a second. And then also primary uh, pre-IPO uh, pre secondary market dynamics. 70% of uh, of kind of interest that's out there is coming from shareholders. So people are looking to sell. So it's a buyer's market. So if you have the if you have uh, the desire to get in right now, it is a very interesting time to get exposure to these names. And bid-ask spreads are still elevated, but they have narrowed a little bit. So what does that mean? Like if the bid-ask is wide, that's probably not a lot of transactions are going to be getting done. So once you see that bid-ask spread to tighten up a little bit, you'll start to see trades match and, uh, and, and, and some business will get done. So I anticipate some of that will relieve itself as hopefully the broader stock market continues to prove like we've seen uh, uh, this year, excuse me, the public broader, broader public stock market. 
Okay, and then uh, some quick IPO capital raises. So we got five companies here, QuickNode, Reaction Engines, Edgar and Cooper, Monument, and Crowdbotics. I'll just highlight on two real quick. So uh, QuickNode and Crowdbotics had some pretty impressive increases. QuickNode raised $60 million Series B at an $800 million valuation. That was a 220% increase uh, from its last raise, which was 16 months ago. And, uh, and Crowdbotics, again, uh, $40 million Series B raise. They're a newer company, right? Uh, certainly not as a, uh, a high of a valuation as, as QuickNode, but $175 million uh, post money. That's a 243% increase. Both of these companies have some really interesting um, investors in the mix, especially Quick, uh, Crowdbotics. So at the software application development company, you should check those two firms out. All right. And then just looking at uh, stock performance for the week last week, uh, uh, pre-IPO stocks were up, thank goodness, right? It hasn't been pretty this year. And we've seen kind of a, a delineation from kind of pre-IPO stocks and the broader stock market. If you took a look at internet stocks like FDN, that's the First Trust Internet ETF, that's up around 14% year to date. So th this is this is a dramatic kind of underperformance to the broader market. So it was funny, I talked with a couple venture capital buddies I had, also a couple of brokers of like, why this demand? I, I was anticipating we would see pre-IPO stocks kind of lead uh, this return back. It looks like, in fact, they're lagging. And I'm wondering if uh, this lag is going to come, uh, it will lag until perhaps this rally in public stocks has solidified itself. Maybe, if, you know, Jerome Powell stops the uh, interest rate hikes. Uh, with the Federal Reserve and the effective Fed funds rate and people get risk on again. And then I, I, I would anticipate maybe we see this uh, a rip back up in pre-IPO stocks um, ahead of what we're seeing in the public market. But at any rate, underperformance year to date uh, for pre-IPO stocks versus kind of the primary benchmarks. And then looking at companies that have performed. So this, this chart is, uh, these are the 15 names in the SIM index the secondary investable market index. You can see these are sort of year-to-date, uh, but year-to-date performance. Open Seas come ripping back. They had a really hard 22, as you could imagine, uh, being in the NFT space and what happened in cryptocurrency uh, and the like. Brex also had a big run-up. We talked about Brex just a minute ago, and Kraken seems to be kind of the winner of this uh, you know, uh, cryptocurrency broker space. Uh, like last few people standing, right, from some of the carnage that's happened in that space with FDX and others. Uh, Chime continues to take it on the chin. They had a rough week last week. They continue to have a rough week this week, down another 7%. And Flexport, you know, I, I think uh, with shipping perhaps coming back online, prices coming down, uh, that's reflected in their stock price too. All right, and just looking at the specific week. So again, Brex had a huge week, massive, massive run last week um, uh, in their business. And then some pulls back again in Chime and Databricks. Nice week for Revolut too. And then from a, from a, a trailing uh, or kind of growth of $10,000 chart over the last year, you can see like we're starting to hit that first part of Q, Q1 in 22 which was very high for pre-IPO stocks, but it started to come down pretty aggressively there in Q1. So we're, we're going to see this chart, I think, look like this for another three to six months after we roll off that kind of higher performance for the year, uh, or, or some, excuse me, the dramatic underperformance over that quarter. And, uh, and once we get through that, I think we'll start to see some uh, closer closer alignment there. But again, like pre-IPO stocks this year now are, are starting to underperform. So that's not going to help, I think, uh, over this one-year performance. All right. So we're taking a look at Databricks. 
So Databricks has a $22.1 billion valuation. That's my calculation based on their last disclosed primary financing round in eight view secondary data. They've raised $3.5 billion to date. These guys have are an analytics platform that sits on top of uh, like a cloud network. So Amazon, AWS, Google Cloud, um, Microsoft Azure, right? Like these folks sit on top of the data, if you will, and they have machine learning, AI, and other solutions that help companies, corporations, um, make sense of their data and put it into action. So it was found in 2013, 1,400 employees, 4,500 employees, they're generating revenue. Uh, I would anticipate they're probably profitable, but we'll we'll uh, we'll see what kind of stats come out this year uh, for uh, in PitchBook on these guys. But the valuation they had a 38 billion dollar valuation in August of 21. That was the last primary financing round. They did raise in January of 22 from Berkeley and IQ and Co. I believe I'm saying that correctly. Uh, but they didn't disclose the amount that they raised and they didn't disclose the valuation, right? So based on that, from that last primary round, I am down 42% based on secondary market trading. So that's how we got to this, uh, that's how we got to this $22.1 billion number. Uh, they did a billion dollars in 2022 revenue. They had some really interesting investors. So Andreessen was in early, uh, NEA was in early. They got some other notables in there like Microsoft, Kochu, uh, some big mutual fund companies and some of the crossover hedge funds. These guys have like an incredible customer list. If you go to their website, you can see uh, like customer um, uh, feedback or customer um, testimonials. That's probably the right word, right? They got, you know, Walgreens, AT&T, Shell. I just put a few of them in here so you could see Grab, which is a big like um, uh, kind of DoorDash uh, type business in, in Southeast Asia, NASDAQ, HSBC. I mean, it's like the who's who. It's great, great customer list. Right, that these uh, folks are work, working with, and they have a subscription-based model. But here's the thing with this business: I, it's like, wh like, what exactly do they do? Sometimes these tech companies, especially ones that work on kind of back-end infrastructure or data, are hard to understand. They're kind of hard to visualize exactly what value they're adding, right? But, uh, but I highlighted too. So these customer testimonials really give an example of what of the power and value that Databricks is able to add. To a particular business for those that aren't in like aren't data scientists, right? Uh, I'm certainly not. So this was helpful. You know, this customer testimonial page was really helpful in understanding the value that they did. So for Walgreens, they had a whole bunch of data. They had massive supply chain issues. The pharmacists weren't able to really understand uh, customer profiles, which is important because you're getting subscriptions from multiple doctors. The pharmacists need to know that stuff. They were the, they were able to deliver all that. Databricks was uh, able to deliver that. Add um, help them with their supply chain to make sure that they had drugs where they needed to. They weren't over ordering or they weren't undersupplied in particular drugs. And then also give the pharmacist a robust customer profile so that they could take care of folks uh, uh, even better than they are today. Right. So that that's really helped them a lot and generate efficiency. I think help drive revenue as well. AT and T, as you can imagine, is a communications company. They're getting pounded by hackers all the time. Um, and just working a few financial services business, I know that this is a huge deal that you got to like, basically, you know, the hackers have AI and machine learning, and you almost have to compete with your own machine learning and AI to keep those folks out. Right. And, uh, and that, and they're helping AT&T, uh, do that, deliver it. And they're helping them and they're doing a really good job to the point where they're going to be able to start taking some of these resources and uh and functionality and start implementing to other parts of AT&T's business which is i think pretty pretty interesting. So the revenue model is a, is a SaaS model. So it doesn't cost any money to sign up and start using Databricks which is probably why they have so many 
huge customers, uh, huge businesses, customers, like why not give it a shot? And then after you get in, it's probably easy to realize the value and expand. So no, no kind of, uh, upfront cost to get in, but you do pay, you know, kind of as you use, uh, and it's, it's these Databricks units that they have, uh, that the company has, um, and they kind of charge by the hour and they bill for naturally there's different fees for different services that you use, uh, with Databricks. So, Databricks, really interesting company. It's certainly one of the top 15 in the biz, top 10 in the biz uh, in the pre-IPO space and uh, certainly one to look out for. All right, we'll call it there for today. If you need any pre-IPO research, uh, please check out agdillon.com. Also, if you're interested in our kind of top 15 uh, venture capital fund, you can look at that at agdillon.com. Also, just look under the VC fund tab on the menu. And we also have a SpaceX, SpaceX SPV that we're uh, doing right now. We'll probably close that up in March and start the fund. So if you have interest in investing into SpaceX, go to agdillon.com slash SpaceX.